it's uh, hard enough to follow up a minister. It's twice as hard to follow a female minister who presents with such grace. <laughs> Nicolas, also from me, thank you very much indeed for inviting us again to this great conference. On behalf of Deloitte, we thank you very much. I'm Gostas Yorkagis. I am the head of shipping services at Deloitte, and I'm really delighted to be here again in New York to moderate the distinguished panelists with respect to how they rate the shipping infrastructure in Cyprus. Let me start with a quick introduction of our panelists. On the very left, we have uh, Mr. Polis Hajiuannou. He is the CEO of Save Balkers and the Vice President of Cyprus Union of Ship Owners. We have also Andreas Hajibetru, who is the Managing Director of a very household name in Ship Management Services, Columbia Ship Management. Allow me, Captain Cook, to skip you and come to Andreas Hajiannis, another Haji, Andreas Hajiannis. He is the president of Cyprus Sea Line Shipping and also the president of the Cyprus Union of Ship Owners. Last but not least, we have Captain Eberhard Koch, German origin, chairman and CEO and partner of West Rachel Lloyd Siredray Cyprus Limited. As we are approaching towards uh, lunchtime, and it's very important that we keep to our time deadline, uh, I will jump straight into the questions to our panelists and allow me to start with Polis Hajiwano. Polis, we'd like to draw from your experiences in running Safe Balkers, which is a US listed company. Uh, listed in New York, but you run it from your home country in Cyprus. You have relocated in Cyprus, the headquarters back in 2015, and we would like to share with us what was your thought process at the time in deciding to relocate in terms of the shipping infrastructure and the maritime expertise. And uh, I would like also to have your experiences uh, since then, and whether it had matched your expectations and whether it justified your decision to relocate in Cyprus. Thank you very much for the question. Um, to be honest, in 2015, when we opened an office in Limassol, I never had in my mind that I would personally move uh, to the country. Uh, my father uh, left uh, Cyprus in 1955, 60 years before I returned. Uh, the reason we opened an office in Cyprus was set a big uncertainty at the time in uh, Greece and uh, a lot of uh, uh, articles and a lot of um, uh, negative uh, publicity. As a public company, we had to make a plan B office, so we decided to move five ships and 10 people to open a, an office in Limassol. And that's how about I plan to, to keep it at that stage. Six months later, when uh, 
things uh, in Greece were not uh, heading to a positive direction with capital controls and all these things, I decided to relocate my family in Cyprus. And I never regret that because I found out that it was a country that we could uh, do our business and uh, focus on our business without having to focus on external things happening in the country. Cyprus at the time was just coming out of the big hit of the bail-in and uh, people losing a lot of money in the banks. Uh, all Cypriots were affected, you know, and uh, we were all related with the Cypriot banks at the time. But this, I saw it as an event that happened and we have to see the next day. So I, I decided after I moved down and after I had a year to, to see how the, how the industry was uh, uh, there, with the encouragement also from the shipping minister at the time and President Anastasiadis, which we must say he was, he was very supportive from the start of uh, ship owners moving uh, businesses down to the island to expand the fleet there. And in 2016, I even moved the public side of the company to run our New York Stock listed company from Limassol. So all my major partners and people in the office, they happily moved their families down in Limassol. They, are, they were more enthusiastic when they came down than when I, I went there in 2015. And it's a move I never regretted because you know you can really focus on your business without without being bothered by external uh, factors. Thank you, Paulis. Thank you very much. Let me turn over to Andreas Hagiannis. Andreas, you are running a fleet of 40-plus bulkheads, and you are extensively, if not exclusively, using the Cyprus flag. I don't know that. Could you give us examples of your experiences from your interaction with the Cyprus Maritime Administration, the involvement of government, uh, in terms of ship registration, the support you get, the role of the associations, and generally your opinion on the operational hub expertise and availability in Cyprus. Thank you. That's a very good question. Minister Pilidis gave a very good presentation of what Cyprus offers. The name, she, she summarized everything in two words, actually, clients, and excellence in service. The name, shipping, it's a very regulated industry. To have excellence in service, you need a deep knowledge, you need expertise, and Cypriots have a very deep knowledge of how the business is run. You need to understand and assess the situation and be in a position to separate between the formality and the risk involvement in every decision. And this is what the owners are always after. So competitiveness is one thing, but having a registry which um, can understand and help in a time of need is the utmost. I will give you an example. I was out with my wife on a dinner one night. Mm -hmm. And I met uh, another colleague. So we greeted each other, and then he told me of the problem he had, a nasty problem in South America. His ship was stranded, 
and then he was put into a lay by Perth for repairs. The class attended, repairs finished, and the ship needed to sail. Now, the harpoon master wanted the certificate from the class, but the class needed to go on sea trials before giving the certificates. <laughs> so it was a catch-22 situation. Nobody uh, can bend the rules. <laughs> so I asked him what the flag was. So he told me Cyprus. That was almost midnight. So I called up the Department of Trade, seven to 24 hours, <laughs> seven days a week. And very soon we spoke to the head of the department. But very quickly he understood the formality, not the danger. There was no danger into it. So he called up himself, the class surveyor. He assessed the situation. He asked him if he can sail with the ship. It was a river, all right? So he couldn't take no. the ship out for sea trials. But he asked him if he could join the ship and do the trials on the way. And then he wrote a very nice, very polite, very professional letter to the port authorities in compliance with this, with the solar rules and all that. And before two o'clock in the morning, the ship was on its way. And he met the castle, and he was a very, very happy owner. I can't understand of any other registry who can do a thing like that, or who can have a service that can understand, assess, and, and react to situations like that during the middle of the night and have a result. This is what efficiency and excellence in service is about. And to achieve this is not only the knowledge, right? it's also the axiocratic approach to the people you select in the right positions. And it's, it goes a step further. It goes to the characters of the Cypriots the pragmatic approach they take to things, right? their willingness to understand and help. And this is what Cyprus Registry is offering. And that's why we have all the, <laughs> almost all the uh, dry cargo ships on, Register the, on the registry. Yes. But do you have any expectations now from the ministry, now that we have the minister in front of us? Well, the appointment of a minister of shipping in Cyprus is a hell of a statement to the industry, how committed the, the government and the state is towards shipping. And I think uh, Cyprus has a very key role to, pay, to play in Europe, right, to service Europe, to service the world, because it's got the pedigree, it's got it all, the people, the expertise, the mentality. And the sky is the limit. <laughs> thank you. Very good. Thank you, Andreas. Thank you very much. I will skip Andreas Kajibetro this time, and I will go to Captain Koch. Obviously, you are the German in this panel, but a very strong advocate of Cyprus, Captain, of uh, Cyprus shipping. And you have chosen Cyprus to be your, uh, your base for 15, year, 15 years now. Could you share with us, please, what attracted you to Cyprus in the first place? How easy it is to conduct your business from Cyprus, 
and service your vessels at the standards that you always strive at the very high standards? And can you comment on the availability of human talent? Thank you very much, Kostas, for this uh, long question. Our company was founded 182 years ago at the Mediterranean. Seven years after the foundation, our company was entrusted to serve the mail service from Cyprus to all other countries in the Mediterranean. So when I had the chance 23 years ago to choose a place after Austria, we went to Cyprus, we transferred our headquarters to Cyprus. Ladies and gentlemen, you have seen a very interesting and excellent presentation by our minister. I can strongly tell you that everything is in place. And if you have recognized, the ministry is called Deputy Shipping Ministry. But she mentioned, she didn't mention to the president. To the president means that the government is 100% supporting the idea and 100% supporting shipping. Shipping is a strong pillar in Cyprus. I call Cyprus the shipping star of the Mediterranean, and I strongly believe in it. For a ship owner, it ticks all the right boxes. You need, as a ship owner, you need a strong registry or a strong ministry in order for your daily operation, in order to have a strong pillar against sports day control and class. And in Cyprus, we have it 24-7. Christmas, Happy New Year, and whenever you call them, you get an advice, a strong advice and a strong support. And this makes the life for a ship owner very easy. And it's also a, a sign to any investor who wants to invest in shipping in Cyprus, that this is one of the best places he can do. Thank you very much, Captain Koch. I come over to you now, Andrea. Andrea Hajibetru. You are the managing director in one of the international household names when it comes to ship management. Can you please tell us what attributes do, be, do you believe a manager can benefit from organized through Cyprus? in having to manage third-party vessels with clients across the world? And can you give us your opinion as to how easy it is from Cyprus to develop and use innovative tools using today's technology that will support your operations and at the end of the day, they will help in your service to your clients? Thank you, Costas. I must say, after the very strong uh, statements I heard uh, from uh, everybody and what I have been listening all day long, I have to, I don't want to repeat what has been said uh, uh, by everybody, but I would like to concentrate on one point, uh, what was mentioned earlier by uh, our minister. The, the fact that Cyprus is ranked number three with regards to ship management services offered worldwide on a third-party uh, basis. This means that being number three in the world for a very small island is something substantial. If you just think about it, the world, the number of ships, the cargoes, the trades, the port calls, Cyprus is number three. Obviously, this is not something which has been created overnight. Uh, companies like Columbia have been pioneers in creating the, the ship management uh, industry as such in the recent history. We have been, uh, Cyprus, in Cyprus, Columbia was um, 
founded 40 years ago. And at that time, the third-party ship management was not really um, a known industry as such. Through the years, we have now grown to have 50 ship management companies in, in Cyprus. And at the same time, if we take, for example, the, uh, what Mr. Hajiano just mentioned now, if you are a ship owner, obviously you do ship management as well, or you can do ship management in-house. So it's not so the number of ships managed out of Cyprus are even bigger. Yes. <laughs> now, with regards to the why Cyprus and how, what are the advantages of Cyprus? If I look at it on, from the point of view of competitiveness, if we see our competitors in Asia, they have a, a, a closer link to the seafarers and a closer link to the ports. So if you are, if you are a third-party ship manager, you need clearly to have a presence in Asia as well. But with regards to servicing the clients as such, Cyprus is the center because from Cyprus you can easily, you are part of Europe, you can easily service your clients in Asia, but as well in, uh, in, uh, in the States. So the crossroads that we, uh, that we are between, um, in the Middle East, between uh, Europe, Asia and Africa, this is actually a good access point uh, to service the clients worldwide. Then, if you go on the, on the local arrangements, in Cyprus already now since many, many years, we have a very wide cluster of services that can be offered. You have very good law firms, you have uh, accounting firms, uh, and, and then you have representatives of, of all the major ship suppliers. So if I have a problem with the ships, I, can, I have a very quick access um, whereby I can, I can service the ships. So generally Cyprus provides a very wide uh, uh, basis for the ship management companies to operate out of there. As an example, we had uh, MSC, which is uh, for those of you that, uh, uh, that you know MSC is, is a major shipping line. MSC came to Cyprus just a few years back, and uh, they were considering whether they would do technical management out of Cyprus. And Cyprus was supposed to be a very small part of the entire network of ship management of MSC. Through the years, MSC has become the uh, MSC ship management Cyprus has become the global center of managing the MSC ships worldwide. This shows how competitive we are and uh, the local expertise which is available. Okay, can you comment also, Andrea, about the innovation and digitization? Very yes. briefly. On innovation and digitalization, I'll just give you a very uh, brief example. We, uh, as a ship management company, we are now creating a control room for reviewing the performance of the ships, which is what we all see in, uh, let's say, the NASA looking. Big screens and uh, monitoring of the ships, and this will be done uh, in such a way that all the ships will be connected to our, our operational center in Cyprus, and the performance will be um, measured out of there. To create this room, we have created, we have utilized a Cypriot-based um, uh, provider for satellite, who, who is obviously representing the, the satellite providers. We have used. A Cyprus-based programming 
company. And we have used, obviously, uh, Cyprus-based uh, engineers to design the entire room and so on. So whatever we need is actually available on the island. Very good, very good. Allow me to turn the direction, though, of our discussion a little bit, because although, despite the fact that we are based in Cyprus, we are facing the same issues that uh, global shipping is facing today. And we cannot hide the fact that the most important aspect um, that is being discussed very intensively right now is the imminent application of the IMO Self-Fair Cup Regulation, which comes into effect 1st of January 2020, uh, in less than 15 months. Uh, I would like to hear the views of the panel, starting again from Polis Hajiwannu, um, um, to understand how they are dealing with this major uh, regulation that will impact the shipping industry, and if possible, to hear also what effect these may have on chartered rates and asset prices. Yes, in our business, we are f facing uh, constant uh, changes and challenges that uh, uh, amazingly the last four years that uh, we have moved in Cyprus, every year we have to face a, a different challenge and a different uh, uh, demand. So uh, in 2015 and 2016, we had the biggest crisis in uh, world shipping, at least for the last 30, 30 or 40 years. That we, we had to make sure that uh, we could manage and uh, come out of this crisis as strong as before. In 2017, in our company, we took the big decision to invest ahead of schedule on the environmental regulation and apply on, our, on all our ships uh, the ballast water treatment systems approved by the U.S. Coast Guard. And al already, you know, 25% of our fleet is installed with these systems. In 2018, we took another decision, and it's very important for us to be based in an island that we can concentrate on our business because these things are coming and will keep coming in the next 10 or 20 years. We took a, we took a major decision, despite we're coming out of a big crisis, and you understand out of a crisis you lose a lot of money and you have to be careful on where you invest money again. Uh, to face uh, this year the preparation for how we deal with the uh, uh, IMO 2020 sulfur cap on the ships. We invested, we decided to invest $50 million on our ships to upgrade half of our fleet with the uh, exhaust gas uh, cleaning systems, the so-called uh, known to everyone scrubbers. This is our contribution to the protection of the environment and to the, to the uh, complying with IMO regu regulations. Ourselves as ship owners, you know, over the years, we have been uh, trying and we have been uh, elaborating to maintain the, 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 the uh, IMO's uh, uh, governing position of uh, well shipping. We wanted IMO and classification societies to be the experts to provide uh, to provide uh, new regulations, and uh, not to lose this uh, unique system uh, to possibly politicians sitting in offices in Brussels or Washington or other places who are going to impose to shipping uh, what will apply and, not, uh, and what will not apply. So for us, it was very important that we had a clear mind and a clear head 
earlier in the year, around, we started around 10 months ago, to concentrate and, uh, and try to comply as much as possible with, uh, with this uh, system. I think shipping, shipping uh, companies are generally not ready to face the new world. Of course, we have the biggest present ever presented in the last uh, decades of uh, charters wanting us to burn new fuel, the so-called low-sulfur low uh, uh, fuel oil, which means that uh, banker cost on ships will uh, increase by 300 or $250 a ton, which it will cl create clearly a slowdown of the well fleet, great opportunity of shipping companies to go back in big profits, and being able to sustain these profits uh, for many years to come. But as ship owners, we must not undermine the authority of the AMO and asking extensions or other things. We have to comply with uh, the said regulation, I, either install scrubbers or comply uh, by burning uh, compliant fuel, which at the end of the day, our charters are gonna pay for. Thank you, police. Of course, the takeaway from this panel right now since we are discussing about Cyprus, is what you said, the ease of mind that you have to be able to deal with such an important issue. Yes, that's correct, yes. Uh, let me turn over to Andreas Kajibetro now, change the direction a little bit, if you don't mind, Andrea and no. Captain Koch. You are faced with a multiple of clients that have to apply this regulation, Andreas. Can you give us your experience and how you go about in persuading your customers um, um, to apply this regulation? Sure. First of all, there is a regulation, so there is no way not to comply. You have to comply. The decision of um, regards to ballast water, I can tell you that there are even there is even a Cypriot company which is now applying uh, for U.S. approval for the, for the water system. So it's a startup, yeah. yeah. So it goes that far. Yeah. Um, so with regards to the water ballast system, there is no other way people need to, uh, uh, to install if they want to trade uh, worldwide. Now, with regards to the scrubbers, this is a commercial decision. It's a decision of the owners and the charterers whether uh, they want to install scrubbers or whether they want to um, uh, fuel the ships with uh, compliant fuel. To cut the long story short, we have to say that out of the 300 ships that we manage, and again, this is just a statistic which does not mean that it's, uh, it's valid worldwide. Actually, none of our clients came along to say, I would like to install scrubbers and I will install them very soon. This is, uh, this is a commercial decision and, uh, and one should consider that scrubbers are basically suggested for ships which burn quite a lot of uh, fuel, so they are bigger ships and they are, uh, and it depends again on the trading area and who is paying for the bankers. But if you don't install scrubbers, Andreas, then you have to purchase the, the fuel that comes at the Correct. premium. Correct. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if I take uh, the approach of uh, Mr. Hajuan, clearly they have done their calculations. It's how the company needs to commercially be run, and uh, this decision obviously has been uh, triggered by financial calculations as well. Okay. 
Captain Koch, can you give us also your view about this very important regulation about shipping? Yeah, thank you, Kostas. Well, the ballast water management system, this is clear now. We have to install, although I still think that in some trading areas, when you're not leaving the trading area, it's, it, it's nonsense. But we have to comply with it. Regarding the scrubbers, a clear statement from my side, we don't want to have refineries on board of our ships. No way. We want the fuel, and the IMO was in a rush to give this um, new convention ready 1st of January 2020, without safeguarding that we have the fuel, without safeguarding that we have the correct fuel, the stable fuel, which our main engines are able to run. So, we are very much in favor of a, an extension. It is not our fault that IMO has been in such a rush that we cannot comply today. And I strongly believe that the low sulfur fuel will not be available 1st of January 2020 in all bunker ports worldwide. And this has to be, otherwise we cannot trade. So do you think the flag states and the association should put some pressure on IMO to defer this regulation? Yes. Or allow for a experience building phase, as they call it? Exactly. The letter is on the table from um, Bahamas, Liberia, Panama. And we strongly believe this has to be taken in consideration. The IMO has to revise their view again because they are not able to, uh, to convince the refineries to give us the right fuel, the stable fuel, a stable fuel which our engines can run. And it does not make any sense to take this new fuel and then our main engines will break down and, and the cargo will never reach the port. But is this is fair, um, uh, Captain, in view of the fact that quite a lot of other players have going into the investment to install scrubbers. Yes, this is a complete different point of view. Um, we think that uh, the ships are not ready to be a refinery. We, the, the, the responsibility has to come to the fuel supplier, not the responsibility has to come on our shoulders again. Okay, thank you very much. I turn over to you now, Andreas, to give us your opinion, and perhaps since you are a marketeer, as <laughs> to the impact on the rates and the prices of the assets. Thank you, thank you. Let's start by saying that sulfur on itself is not a polluting substance. Dioxide sulfur, dioxide sulfur is a corrosive substance. How do we get from sulfur to dioxide sulfur? We get it through the eruption of volcanoes and through combustion in the engine. Heavy fuel has 3.5 to 6% sulfur. So when you burn it in the engine, you get the fuses, it goes into the air through toxic rain, that's what toxic rain is about, comes back into the sea, into the fields, and we find it in our plates. And that's very bad. So very correctly, IMO said, or the environmentalist person said that the concentration of uh, dioxide sulfur in the atmosphere is increased through the last 250 years. So they came up with the mandate that by 2020, 1st of January, we, the ships, must not burn fuel uh, with more than 0.5% uh, uh, sulfur. 
is against to the 3.5 that we exactly. have now. Yes, and the surprising thing is that until very recently we had the zero, sorry, the 1% heavy fuel uh, uh, suffering the heavy fuel, which we were obliged to burn in the Seca area. Then it was, that was stopped, and it, they introduced a 0.1%, so the production was stopped too. The difference in price between this, the 1% and the regular one was 40 dollars, approximately. It wasn't that such a heavy difference as police measure. What police says is the difference between the gasoil or the diesel oil with 0.1% as opposed to the heavy fuel. But the extraction of the sulfur from the heavy fuel is not such expensive. They talk about 100. Now the big issue came about, not because anybody's objecting to the regulation, but because the refineries would not be ready on the 20th, sorry, on the two, uh, 1st of January 2020 to supply the ships. <coughs> and there we have the scrappers. Scrappers is not a new thing, it's an old thing, but in moderation, and very few ships have them in the North Sea. Now the entire industry, the entire fleet is called to install uh, separators, uh, sorry, scrappers, scrappers, before the heavy fuel, low sulfur, comes into, <laughs> into the market. And this is a big debate about. Yeah. Well, the regulation, it's clear, has to be complied with, 2020. When will the refineries be able to deliver the 0.5 contents? It's unclear, it's not, a, it's not so clear. Some place it into 2021, others 2022, and so on, it's a big debate. How many scrappers? They say about a thousand ships will have scrappers. Probably more. Yes, or a yeah, bit more. About two thousand. nowhere near the 90,000 ships we have in yes, the water. Yes. Right. Um, then it comes that's a very difficult question, and it's debated as we speak. And it will have a lot of debate until the 1st of January 2020. Yes. It's not for us to solve. Now, when it comes, suppose, suppose it is implemented 2020, most probably will, because uh, most of all, uh, IMO has been uh, uh, criticized for giving postponements. We had it on the Palace Water Systems, so it's like a question of credibility. It will be definitely <laughs> applied. It's a matter of how lenient they will be if yeah, you violate Yeah, what happens if you don't find, um, if you don't find the 0 0.5 uh, heavy fuel yeah. oil? Um, if you don't find it in one port, but you find it in the next port, what happens? It's uh, a very yes. uh, uh, critical yeah. questions yeah. that need to be sorted out. Okay. And it's a big debate. Now, in respect of the market, as long as we have a strict compliance, and one, two thousand ships have scrappers, and the rest don't, then policy is absolutely right. You're going to be burning fuel with, uh, at a cost of 450 if you have a scrapper, 
or you could be burning fuel with 700 tons, <laughs> sorry, dollars per ton, if you don't have a scrap. $300 more. That's it. Yeah. Big, big differential on a container that could amount to $30,000 a day, which will also uh, uh, mean a slow speed for the non Scrapper fit compliant, yeah. Which will further add to the freight. Right. Now, there is a different point of view too on that one. It's, it's the market is uh, in sectors. So, the bigger the ship, the uh, more likely is that it will comply. It will fit with scrapper. There are 800 VLCCs, there are 1,000 capers. So if a big portion of these sectors has scrappers on board, then I don't think the charters will care to pay more yeah. because the competition would dictate the market, not the price of the oil. Okay. So if you have three ships with scrappers and two orders, then it will make a difference. If you have three ships without scrappers and one with a scrapper, then it will make it a will. difference. But this would be very... Polis, would you like to add to yes, what I would like, has said? Yes, I would like to say that ship owners sometimes, maybe most of the times, we like to put our head in uh, the sand and not see what is coming to hit us. I mean, we know about these regulations mm -hmm. since 2008, and there is study of IMO that compliant fuel will be available and the only way to, to be available, compliant fuel, will be available because there is a cut-off date. If there was no cut-off date, would never, the refiners would never produce the compliant fuel. So ExxonMobil, other companies in second quarter of 2019 will be ready to offer compliant fuel of low sulfur oil. I read reports that in certain ports there will be uh, unavailability or will be, will be less quantities available. Immediately the market and the bankering market will uh, adjust itself. If they produce more, or more or compliant fuel in the East, because the refineries there are more modern to the European ones, they will transport this, the product tankers will transport these quantities quite easily and nicely and handsomely to the European ports. So very soon, only if we comply with IMO uh, dates, uh, we will see, we will see uh, the, in effect, uh, ship owners contributing to this uh, regulation without uh, extending the pollution of the environment. So, ship owners, I believe, we must be in favor of the of the cut-off date. And at the end of the day, it's a big present. I repeat, it's a big present that we have in fr in, in our hands that there is a cut-off date that. Uh, from that date on, our charters will be paying for their bankers, because we don't pay for the bankers. It's the, it's the customer who pays for the bankers. We'll be paying 300 or $250 more than what the HFO will be costing. And, and so it uh, will be passed over to the consumer. At the end of the day, the consumer will be the one who will, uh, who will getting the benefit of the cleaner skies and the cleaner air. And we are consumers as well, and we will be paying our fair share. It's not the ship owner who is going to pay for the clean air of, of, of all the world. The ship owner is only the taxi driver. He transports goods from yes. A to B. So we are the taxi drivers of the oceans. We are not, that's why our shipping, our type of shipping is called Trump shipping. 
With an A, not with a U. <laughs> <laughs> Boris, thank you very much. I see that our time is up, but Andreas Gajibetru nods over to me that he wants to have no, a... Just a comment that I think with the uh, 2020 regulation, somehow it has dominated the shipping panels uh, for the last months. And it reminds me a bit of the uh, 2000 uh, IT era when you had the change from 1999 to 2000 that we all thought that our businesses would the collapse. Y2K. I think we shouldn't behave in this way. There is a certain guidance from the ICS, International uh, Chamber of Shipping, with, which rep re represents largely the owners and the operators. And basically the, the guidance is that for each vessel you need a, a risk assessment. You have to define whether you go for scrubbers or not. For those that will not go for scrubbers, you need to, to uh, document what you are doing rega with regards okay. to compliance and rec record, which is done automatically anyway, the, the uh, efforts to bunker the ship. And if, you, if there is no availability, the Coast Guard will not uh, arrest the ship, but this will not happen. Okay, thank you very much, Andreas. I think since our time is up, we will not take up any questions but I will give the opportunity to our panelists with only two words to uh, describe the success, w w which two key words you will use to describe the success of Cyprus shipping. Andreas. Yeah, excellency of service and efficiency and know-how. Two words, I said. Two. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Koch. I can only repeat, the shipping star of the Mediterranean, invest in Cyprus. Thank you. Andrea Hajibedru? Take all the boxes. Very good. And police? I think we have all the ingredients with the proper, uh, with the proper uh, attention from, uh, from uh, government uh, to expand and to attract more ship owners in the island. If I may say one, one, one word more, is the ship owners and the ships who create the shipping industry. So we have ships and then we have the services the, the ship managers, we are doing a great job. The technical services of so many uh, technical offices in Cyprus, the classification society, the insurances, the brokers, the suppliers, is because we have ships. So in Cyprus, we, ha we have to protect our ships and our tonnage stack system. These are the two biggest uh, efforts of uh, the shipping ministry, should be. Police, thank you very much. Thank you all for your contribution and for sharing your thoughts.